We began a new sermon series last week called Organic Disciples. And it's a great way to begin the new year by looking at spiritual practices that form and shape us to be more like Jesus. Today we're looking at a foundational practice to our spiritual growth. You know, one of our core values as a church is this idea of spiritual growth, that God has work to do in us. It doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus 40 years or 40 minutes, God is progressing you towards Christ-likeness, and He has work to do in all of us. And He uses engagement in Scripture, Bible reading, God's holy word, to accomplish that. And so today is, uh, is, is sort of unique in that it's a Normally what we do in a preaching moment is we preach a text from the Bible, but this is a, a sermon about the Bible. This is a sermon to help us uh, engage in Scripture at a deeper and a fuller level. And uh, I hope today when you walk out of here, you, you feel more equipped and more inspired to engage with God's Word because it is one of the primary things that God uses to make you more like Jesus. So let's jump into that today. I know uh, we have a lot of friends watching online today because of the snow, and I also don't want to—I don't want to get too far into this without saying thank you to so many people that make a day like today happen. I appreciate those that shoveled snow on the sidewalk. I appreciate those that showed up to operate uh, cameras and online equipment, and um, and so all those things don't happen automatically. Uh, a volunteer, uh, a team of people uh, make that happen. And so I want to say thank you to those that are, are, are making all of that possible today. Uh, so we're going to be in the book of Hebrews today. Hebrews chapter 1. We're also going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can, you can go there. We also have this handy little app on our phones. It's simply called the Bible app. It's a great app to talk about on a Sunday in which you talk about Scripture engagement. And in the Bible app, if you click on Events, you're going to see our church and this teaching and those notes will be there. And maybe that'll help you on your journey. You can save some of the content that we're going to talk about today. It is no secret. You are aware of what I'm about to say. The world is inundated with bad news. We live in a 24-7 news cycle. And almost everything that comes at us in this 24-7 uh, news cycle is bad news. And here's the thing about about media that we consume and, and the stories that we read online, the things that outrage us, uh, the things that appall us, the things that shock us, horrify us, anger us, those are the things that get the most coverage, that makes you want to watch cable news, that makes you want to click more, that makes you want to read more. And we are living in an age in which uh, we are constantly bombarded with bad news. Now, some of you are old enough to know that what I'm about to say is true. It wasn't always this way. There was a time you would turn the news on once a day, Tom Brokaw or Dan Rather or Peter Jennings, they would tell you in 30 minutes all that you needed to know. They got all the bad news out of the way. You turn the TV off and you had to wait another 24 hours to get another dose of bad news. But now, our souls are constantly being um, filled with this flow of bad news. It's in our social media news feeds. It's on our 24-7 cable news networks. I was waiting for a root canal the other day, and in the lobby, 
was one of the cable networks, and it was this constant churn of bad news, and the dentist was a little delayed. So not only was I waiting an impending root canal, but I heard this churn of bad news in the waiting room. I wanted to go to the receptionist and say, can we please change the channel? I've heard the sky is falling now for the last 30 minutes, and, uh, and I, I need a little bit of encouragement as I, as I go into this appointment with the dentist. But now, recognizing that the world is out of sorts, that it's not the way that it's supposed to be, that's good. It's not that the things that are coming at us 24-7 are not true. They certainly are true, and at some level we need to know about them. But, but let me explain to you what's happening to us and to our souls as we consume bad news all the time. Here's an example. I think it'll make sense for you. What'd you do with your snow day yesterday? Chances are you had the luxury of having several things being canceled and you didn't have to go anywhere. Maybe you had your milk and your bread and your eggs and your toilet paper and you were able to just settle down, watch the snow, and you may have had the opportunity to watch an extended amount of TV. Maybe you were able to do something that I did. I was able to watch one of the Marvel movies. If you're trying to watch the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you've got a lot of movies to catch up on. There's this whole narrative world that's been created uh, by Marvel Studios that takes these comic book characters and makes them come to life on the screen. So I watched one of those yesterday, and I got to thinking about the, the basic formula of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. One of the things that makes these movies great is the presence of a good villain. In fact, that's true of any narrative, any story. It's got to have a good villain. And, and the formula is basically the same. The, the, the movie starts out where the villain has taken control. The villain is creating a world of injustice and disorder. And so I want us to think about this constant barrage of bad news. It's like every day we hear that Thanos is on the loose. Every day we hear that, that Venom is running amok, that, that Killmonger is threatening the Black Panther, that, that Red Skull is at work, that Doctor Doom is looming uh, behind the next uh, corner. And so these villains take center stage in the movies and then this constant barrage of bad news Bad, the, the villains, the, the, the things that, that, are, that worry us, that cause anxiety in our lives, they, they take center stage. Now, it's good in a movie because what happens, the villain takes center stage at about, about the one-hour mark. You're at the point in the movie where it looks like everything is hopeless. There's no way Spider-Man can get out of this. Even Iron Man in his suit can't defeat the enemy that he is facing. It looks as if all is lost. Now imagine at that one hour mark when you are feeling the pressure, you're feeling the anxiety, you're feeling the question of is this going to resolve? Is everyone going to live happily ever after or will Thanos rule the world? Imagine the movie suddenly ending. Imagine it's suddenly ending and you have no resolution. You don't know if good will win. You don't know if justice is going to triumph. Imagine watching just the first hour of the Marvel movies. There's no resolution. There's no hero to save the day. There's only a story of greed, of selfishness, of deceit having its way in the world. 
And that's what happens to us every single day. Think about the bad news that you hear every day. How much of it angers you? How much of it shocks you? How much of it appalls you? But then let me ask you this. How much of it is ever resolved? How many times do news anchors circle back and say, oh, hey, you know that awful thing we were talking about yesterday? It worked out. It worked out. Everybody, everybody agreed that this is what we needed to do, and everyone was brought to justice, and everything is good to go. It, everyone's going to live happily, happily ever after. It doesn't happen. It's every day the crime, every day the injustice, every day the spread of disease, every day increased temperature of the planet, every day there's a famine, there's an insurrection, a wildfire, a loss of habitat. Every day. And none of it is ever resolved. The world is in need of good news. Say amen, church. The world is in need of, of good news. Our souls are constantly living in this disorientation of none of this ever being resolved. And we as the people of God, we have good news. We have the story of what God has done in Christ. We have a story that ends in a glorious resurrection. We have a story that there on the cross we're left wondering, is this going to work out? Is Jesus going to conquer sin, death, and hell, and forever? And then the story climaxes with his glorious resurrection. Our story proclaims that he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended, and church, he's coming again. That's a promise. Take it to the bank. It's guaranteed he's coming again. This is our story, and it's good news. And it's all right here. It's all right here in the Bible. And I want to I tell you a little bit of, of what we believe about the words of God that are here in Scripture. And it begins with understanding who they are revealing. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. Let me tell you what the writer of, to the Hebrews is doing here. He's taking you back to the Old Testament story. He's taking you back to the Hebrew story. And he's reminding us that through the prophets and through the, the historians of the Old Testament, little bit of God was being revealed. God was speaking to us through the prophets at various times and in various ways. But so much of the message, let's take the prophets, for instance. It reveals bad news. It reveals Israel that's failed on its part of the covenant. It reveals injustice. It reveals the poor who are being neglected and marginalized. And it reveals a nation, Israel, who's doing nothing about it. So it reveals a lot of, of bad news. And, and Ezekiel even says in Ezekiel chapter 36, Oh, a new heart. You know, we, we have this heart of stone that's not able to resolve any of this stuff that's being revealed by the Word of God. But a time is coming when I'm going to take that heart of stone out of my people and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. 
And so that's all that God is revealing in the Old Testament. And then in the person of Jesus, the movie finally progresses to the work of the hero, the centerpiece of our story. It's Jesus who through his life, death, and resurrection takes away our heart of stone, our heart that's not responsive to the things of God, and gives us a heart of flesh, a heart that's able to discern the things of God. It's able to respond to God's Holy Spirit. It's able to live in victory over sin, and it's able to reflect God's love to the world. In the past, God spoke through the prophets at many, various times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken definitively through Jesus. And he has said, this is who I am. This is who I'm calling you to be. And that entire story of Jesus, of who Jesus is and who we're called to be, it's right here in the written word of God. You see, we weren't fortunate enough to rub shoulders with Jesus in the first century. But that was never the plan for everyone to experience Jesus in the flesh. The plan all along was for Jesus to complete the work of God on the cross and rise from the dead and send the Holy Spirit and raise up the church. And now we continue the story today and we do so with the Word of God as our guide. It's our guide for who God's called us to be. And look at so many times Jesus references the Old Testament. He reads the Old Testament. And so Jesus loved this word that was revealed in the Old Testament. He fulfills it in his life, death, and resurrection. And then through the Holy Spirit, the New Testament writers record his story. And so friends, as we think about our spiritual growth, we need to recognize that our engagement with the Bible is essential to our spiritual growth. If you want to know this Jesus, if you want to reflect this Jesus to the world, we have to be engaged in Scripture. And here's what the Bible says about itself. It's a book unlike any other. There is no other book that you will read that is like the Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, For the Word of God is alive and active. It's living. It's alive. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. The Bible is alive and active like no other book in human history. There's no other book that has survived antiquity like Scripture. It's alive, it's active, it's inspired by God's Holy Spirit it is literally a miracle of God's grace and his providence that we have it in its form today, preserved for us without error in all things necessary to our salvation. It is an absolute miracle of God's grace and his providence. And so it's alive for us in ways that other stories are not. I want to share three ways that scripture is alive for us. This is why Bible engagement is so important to our spiritual growth. The first is this, the Bible invites us into God's mission of redemption. It's not something you passively read about. It's not something you just knowledge that you just passively tuck away into your brain somewhere. The Bible is literally, it's alive and active, and it's inviting you into what God is doing to save the world. When I was a kid, one of my favorite books 
were these choose-your-own-adventure books. It's still a thing. Kids these days still read hard copies of books. It's, it's just simply amazing to me. Uh, may it ever be so. And so my kids came home from the book fair not too long ago, and they had one of these books. This choose-your-own-adventure. And, and, you, and you read along in the story, and you get to a point, and, and, and somehow the book is comprised in such a way it says, if you want your adventurer to do this, then turn to page 73. If you want your adventurer to do this, then turn to page, I don't know, 42. And, and you choose your own adventure. And, and there's just infinite possibilities, really. Infinite, com- not, not infinite, but there's many different combinations for how the story might resolve. And that is what the Bible is inviting us to do. We know what the end is supposed to look like. We know that like, like Revelation reveals new creation to us. And what the Bible is saying between right now, where you're holding the written word of God, and new creation, which is coming. It may be tomorrow, and it may be a thousand years from now. But between now and then, you, Christian, you, follower of Jesus, you have a role to play. There's a mission of redemption, and God wants everyone to be included in new creation, and he wants to use you to accomplish that. So the Bible invites us in to choose this adventure. Second thing the Bible does for us is it presents God's love as available to everyone. It is, it is, it is clear that, that what is revealed here, this character and this nature of God, that is revealed in Scripture, it is not exclusive. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't exclude anyone. All are invited to experience God's love. And I think about the bad news of our world and how it comes to us so efficiently. And one of the things that, that algorithms of social media does and, and cookies in your web browser do for for marketers and for corporations, it connects you with things that, that you like, that, that you are interested in. It also allows you to live in these like ideological silos and these echo chambers. It allows you to live in environments where people agree with you. It allows you to live in environments where people who you don't agree with can be portrayed as enemies. It allows you to consume information in such a way that people's worst mistakes are presented as their normal mode of operation. And so algorithms and cookies in our web browser and technology, all of those things are curating information in such a way that we know who is us. And we clearly have a sense of who is them. And we have this sense that people that aren't like me or they don't agree with me or they don't share my ideological convictions or even my politics, they've now become the enemy. They've now become people that I'm at odds with. This is the function of bad news in our world. We need to be aware of this. We need to know this is happening. And we need to be invited into a different story, church. Because here's what the Bible does for us. The Bible proclaims that every single living human being is created in the image of God. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. That's everybody. 
He gave his one and only son for the people you disagree with. He gave his one and only son for the people that exist outside of your ideological silo. He gave his one and only son for people that don't live in your echo chamber. And the scripture invites us out of those places and into a world in which all have access to this love of God. And it reminds us of who we are. We are people who serve as conduits of God's love to those who have not yet experienced it. And so the Bible presents God's love as available to everyone. We do not live in an us versus them world. We live in this world. We dwell in this story in which God so loved the world. You can say amen there. If you're waiting for it to get better, it's not. It's the best I've got today. God so loved the world. Third thing, the Bible awakens our spiritual senses to understand the world as God does. The Bible awakens our spiritual senses to understand the world as God does. Remember what the writer of Hebrews said in 4.12? The Bible's living, it's active, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It, 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 it divides joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And what the Bible is doing is revealing the world as God sees it. This is primarily how the book of Revelation functions for us. It's, it's what we call apocalyptic literature, and, and I wish I had more time to kind of live here, but, but let me just summarize what's happening in Revelation is this. We see these visions that John is having of how new creation is ultimately going to break into the world, and what's happening is, is John is being ushered into heaven, and scales are dropping from his eyes, and he's able to see the world as God sees it. And friend, every time we go to God's Word, that's essentially what the Holy Spirit, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do for us. He wants us to see the world as God sees it. And there are people in our, in our lives, we call them prophets. They have a special gift. Sometimes you love them, and sometimes you hate them. Because one of the things they do is they rightly interpret not only God's word, but the world. And they help you understand what's wrong with the world. And they help you see the world the way God sees it. Tomorrow you're going to have a holiday. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And this holiday celebrates the work of civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and one of the, the, the reasons I continue to go back to the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s is it is anchored in the spirituality of the black church. It is anchored in this group of preachers, this group of prophets who saw a world that was not the way it should be, who saw a minority group in the United States of America that were denied the right to vote, they were denied certain privileges that white people had. They read the Old Testament prophets, and they said the world is not as it should be. And they stood in Birmingham, and they stood in Selma, and they stood in Atlanta, and they stood in Stone Mountain, Georgia, and they said to the world, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. 
the Old Testament prophets reveal a different dream, a different vision. And at some point this afternoon or tomorrow, you're going to hear Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech referenced. And I want to caution us as we celebrate his work and his legacy. There is the quotable king. And these are the the quotes from from Dr. King that people put on their Facebook profile and, and pretty much everyone can get on board with it. There's the quotable king, but we cannot miss out on, on, on the prophetic king, the king that challenges us to be better, the, 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 the prophetic king that makes us uncomfortable. And so as you're reading lots of quotes that, that sound good and, and, and you know, are, are palatable in lots of different situations, do yourself a favor and read the letter from the Birmingham jail. Just look it up online. Read the, read the letter from the Birmingham jail. Read the parts of Dr. King that make you uncomfortable. And let his words challenge you as we think about who we're called to be in this time. And I say all that to say his most famous speech, the I Have a Dream speech that was delivered at the Capitol in 1963, which was largely focused on making sure minority groups had the right to vote, something they didn't have. It was filled with Scripture. The dream that he had was Amos chapter 5, verse 18, where the prophet, writing to Israel in the 8th century, says, But let justice roll on like a river, let righteousness like a never-falling stream. And Israel didn't get it right in the 8th century B.C., and in 1960 America, we were not getting it right. And so the prophet stands there, with, armed with the Word of God, this living and active Word, sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing, piercing our hearts, dividing joints and marrow. The prophet stands there and calls us to a better way. A better way. And so the, the, the Bible does this. It awakens our senses to understand the world as God sees it. So, that's the Bible. Are you ready to engage with it? As you think about the habits in your life, as you think about your engagement with Scripture, are you ready to engage with this living and active book? Or have I talked you out of it? Or, or would you say, I, I don't want a, a, a double-edged sword to pierce my heart. I don't want to be challenged that way. I, 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 don't, I don't want to be made uncomfortable. Then, friend, you're not ready to grow in Christ-likeness. As part of growth in Christ's likeness is allowing this word to, to pierce our hearts. You know, too often we treat the Bible uh, in, in, in a lot of ways the way, well, our friend Kevin Harney in the book Organic Disciples, he said we, we think of it as spiritual snacking. Um, one of the things that uh, I did during lockdown, that was two years ago now, almost two years ago, I made a lot of laps in our kitchen. I don't remember like having a set meal for about a week because we were all just disoriented by 
COVID and what in the world was going on. And I just found myself making these laps in the kitchen. And I would grab a snack and I would plunder around the fridge and see what was in there. And I didn't really have a plan for nutrition or nourishment. Just kind of making these laps through the, the kitchen. And, and what Kevin Harney says is, is so many times we treat our engagement with Scripture like that. A spiritual snack. I'm facing a crisis. Don't know where to turn. I haven't been in God's Word in a while, but let me just open it up and see what little snack I can get. Let me cherry pick something from the Proverbs. See if that'll help me get through my day. And he draws a great analogy, and I think it's really good. He says, remember Popeye the sailor man? Man, Popeye would be up against Brutus and He'd want to try to win olive oil's heart and, or some crisis would happen. And what would Popeye do? Let me go get a can of spinach. Pop open the can of spinach and he'd down the, the, the can of spinach and instantly he was made strong. It was a great cartoon. It reminded kids of the importance of eating their vegetables. But in terms of developing a sustainable plan of nutrition, if you want the benefits of spinach... You have to eat it more than just once every now and then. It has to be a regular part of your diet. It has to be a, a daily feast. And so we can't just engage Scripture as spiritual snacks that we go and grab every time we're faced with something. It has to be a regular part of our life. And so here's my encouragement for you today as we close. If you are feeling today as if your engagement with Scripture is lacking, as if you need to be more engaged with God's Word, here's my encouragement to you. Make a plan. Make a plan. It's the new year. It's a great time for this. Make a plan. And here's the building blocks of your plan. I'm going to share with you four building blocks for, for your plan your plan's going to look different than my plan. You're at a different place in, in your understanding of the Bible than I am. There are people who are much further ahead of me in their understanding of Scripture. And, and, and there are people who are, are not as far as I am in my understanding of Scripture. All of us are at different places. So I'm going to share with you four building blocks to help you make a plan to engage with Scripture this Bible engagement plan will help you grow. So it's a little acronym I want to share with you. Grow. The first is G, gospel-centered. As you make a plan to engage with Scripture, choose resources that keep your focus on the good news of Jesus. Make sure it's centered in the gospel. And the best advice I would give you for this is let it be replete with Scripture. Read more Scripture than you do commentary on Scripture. Now, if you're a beginner, you might say, well, I don't understand Scripture. Let, let me make you a promise. If you will set aside the time, and if you will start with the Gospels of Jesus, the story of Jesus, if you will take bite-sized chunks of the Gospels and just look at the story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will reveal exactly what, you, what He wants for you to know and to experience as you engage with Scripture. And so, so whatever resource you choose, whatever plan you choose on the Bible app, make sure that it's gospel-centered, that it points you to the good news of Jesus. The second thing I would say is to grow, G-R, regular. Make it 
regular. This has got to be a daily part of your life. There are things that we do every day. We eat every day. We sleep every day. We engage in God's word every day. Make it a regular part of your life. O, G-R-O, whatever you choose, whatever your plan is, it's got to be obtainable. It's got to be something that's manageable. So choose manageable portions of Scripture. Don't walk out of here and today and say, I'm going to read through the entire Bible in a week. I'm going to read 18 chapters a day. Friend, less is more here. So, so build a plan for yourself where there's obtainable goals, manageable portions of the Bible. And finally, your plan needs to recognize that this is worthwhile. This engagement with Scripture has to be a top, has to be the top priority in your day. Most likely that means you need to do it first. There's some of you that are super disciplined and you can carve out nine o'clock every night to do it, but take it from someone who's been around the block a few times. If you want to succeed in engaging with Scripture, this has got to be your top priority. And whatever is your top priority are usually things that you do first. So as you build your plan, make it worthwhile. Make it your top priority. What did Jesus say about those who made plans to engage with God's Word, to live God's Word? He said they were wise. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he told this story. He says, Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had foundation on the rock. The follower of Jesus that made a plan, the follower of Jesus that engaged in Scripture, they're wise. Their life was built upon the rock. It was immovable. It was unshakable. But, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, streams rose, the wind blew and the beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus calling us to be wise today. He's calling us to build our life on the rock, to build our life on the truth of who he is, to engage with God's word.